Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. John chapter 16 and verse 33. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Here comes some good news. You ready? In the world you'll have tribulation. Thank you, Jesus. Wished he hadn't said that. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yes. <laughs> well, be of good cheer. I don't know about you. When I'm in tribulation, the last thing I want somebody to tell me is cheer up. <laughs> like, oh, I got your cheer up right here, buddy. Uh, this is hard. Life's hard. But, but that's actually not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying cheer up. If, if, you, if you got out a, a Greek dictionary and you looked it up, that's actually just one Greek word that's used there. We use these but be of good cheer. But it's one Greek word that's, that simply means this. Take heart. It also can be defined as take courage. So that means then that for us, we have a part to play here in the midst of tribulation. Sometimes people are in tribulation wondering where God is, wanting God to do something. And Jesus is saying, hey, in the tribulation, take heart, you do something. But then he says this, I have overcome the world. So he speaks this statement of truth. You can find it a couple other times where Jesus used this in Matthew chapter 9, a woman with the issue of blood. He said, he said uh, take heart or be of good cheer. Your faith has made you whole. He makes this statement of truth following this take heart statement, meaning that we can take heart when we also stand on truth. We can't just take heart because we wish we could or, 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 or we think we're, we're, we've earned enough from God. No, we take heart by coming back to the truth, lifting our voice and declaring God's word and our heart and our courage come back to us. I don't think I, don't think I need to say this, but clearly there are people around us today that have lost heart. There are Christian people that have lost heart. They are nervous and afraid. And we as the people of God cannot allow the tribulation to take our heart. There is a a battle for your heart. The devil's coming, circumstances are coming, but Jesus is still saying, take heart. Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it come the boundaries or the issues of your life. You've got to guard your heart. Not let the circumstances steal it from you. There are several characters in the Bible that, that I find fascinating characters. There are some, I don't know if you feel this way, I, I, I look at them and I think they're awesome and it's incredible, but there's part, they're so incredible that for me it's just almost unrealistic. Now it's real because I believe the Bible. But I like the, there are certain guys that, that I just think, well, like, like Peter. Peter just makes a lot of sense. Doesn't he? Like, you look at Peter's life and you, yeah, I can relate to that. Now, now I, I, would, I would hope that, that I, I wouldn't, you know, deny Christ. That's, that's my, my faith says I won't. 
Uh, but there's this stumbling that Peter does and this, this tripping up that Peter does that makes him very relatable to most of us as humans. There are some very superhuman guys. Joseph is a guy that to me is like a superhuman guy. He never seems to crack. It's like, bro, they lied about you. They threw you in a pit. Your brothers threw you in a pit. You were accused of something you didn't do. You find yourself in prison. Come on, show us some sense of normal humanity. Not a crack, man. Not a crack, Joseph. Joe's good. He's good. Peter, I relate to. Another guy that, that that is certainly very human and very supernatural all at the same time is a guy named David. And you guys are familiar with David. David is really, really known for two giant events in his life. He kind of gets summed up to these two most of the time. When you tell people talk about, there's the, the, the big event of victory. And then there's the big event of absolute failure. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't even need to say the names because you know. You know them, most of you. Maybe some of you don't, so I'm going to say the names. He faced the giant called Goliath and won. And then he faced another giant called Bathsheba, and he lost. He didn't win that one. But David had this this system that he would employ, and he had this, this mechanism that would kick in when he would find himself at a place where he was going to or had lost heart. One story in particular we find in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and it's a story where David and his mighty men have been out fighting, and they come back to their town called Ziklag, and they get there, and the Amalekites have come, and they've burned it all down and taken all their wives and taken all their kids and taken all their livestock, taken everything, and everything's in ruins. And the Bible says that the men wept until they had no more tears to weep I think we've all probably had similar moments in our life. I mean, you don't have to be alive for a long time to experience sorrow and tragedy in this life. I mean, the moment you're born, they take you out and lay your naked body on a cold table. That's a pretty rude awakening right away. Life life comes at you real fast right from the very beginning. And, And we've all had moments where we've wept and wept and wept until we just, we're we're almost tired of crying. And these guys are there in that place, and their conclusion is, let's kill David. I don't know how that was going to make them feel better, and it certainly wasn't going to get their wives and kids back, but they said, let's kill David. Let me just just submit a thought to you and just a a piece of advice if I can. Uh, When you're in that place, that's not a good time to make decisions, and it's certainly not the best time to try to find out who's the one to blame. Just write it out for a while. Clarity will come. But David, the Bible says, they all said they were going to stone David. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. That word strengthened is a Hebrew word that means that he laid hold of or he seized the Lord. He grabbed for the Lord. That when trouble came and hardship came and he had no explanation and was, and was suffering from severe grief and loss and tragedy, the first thing he did is he reached for God. 
several years ago, 22 years ago, as a matter of fact, uh, this, this last month, uh, my wife and I um, released our son Jonathan to the Lord, and he went to heaven, and we were in the hospital, and, and we had a moment in the hospital where we were leaving, we were getting ready to leave, and, and a chaplain came in, and, and I just want to say to you that um, if you don't know, because they don't get talked about a lot, there are men and women that serve hospitals all over the place, and they serve for free of charge. They go in and willingly serve to help families in their moment of tragedy and hardship and, and sorrow, and I would just ask you, when you pray, mention them. They're doing, they're, they are certainly doing the Lord's work in that environment. I just can't even imagine the, the, the weight of the grief that they help families carry on a, on a daily basis. This lady came to see us as the chaplain of the hospital, and she says to us, she said, she said just, I want to check on you, and I said, we're good, you know, we got our son, he's in heaven, we're looking forward to the day we're going to see him again. And, and she said, okay, well, that's great. But uh, you need to be prepared for something, uh, that, that there is a process of grief, and one step of that process of grief is that you will blame God. And, and, and I, I will tell you, if you study all the psychology books and the counseling books, they will all tell you, yes, you will. That's what they say. That's, 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 that's a fairly normal process that people go through. However, as believers in Jesus Christ, I find that we have a different response in a moment like that. And I, for one, did. And I found myself stirred, a little passionate in that moment. And I said, ma'am, I don't, I don't think you seem to understand. I, I appreciate that you're here, but I don't think you understand. We are at a total loss right now. We are uncertain about our future. We're uncertain about future children. We're uncertain about, about a lot of our life. We, have, we are feeling darkness and sorrow to a degree that I have never felt in my life. And the only thing, the only thing that seems to be consistent in my life right now is God himself and my Savior, Jesus Christ. If I turn my heart on him, I have nothing. And my wife reaches over and squeezes my hand real tight. That's why the Apostle Paul said, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. It's not us. It's not us. There's one hope that we have, and we cannot turn against him. There's one place of safety and security and restoration that we have. We can't turn our heart on him. And if you found yourself in that place, I'm saying turn back to him. He's the one that's going to pull you out. David has this moment with Bathsheba. And in Psalm chapter 51, he's writing this psalm about that time frame. And he says in verse 10, it says this, Create in me a clean heart. Well, a lot of us are familiar with the verse of Scripture. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In the Message Bible, it words it this way. It says, God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. David's asking God for a fresh start. He said, I need to do over. I need to do over. Now, he has this moment because there's this guy that to me is just a cool character in the Bible, but he's not talked about very much. And he's a prophet. He's a prophet that shows up at David's house. And I just want to say to you again, just to reinforce to you, the prophets are coming next week. 
Get your house in order. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. I'm just, I'm just sorry. But Nathan is this guy. He doesn't walk into David's palace and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have a word from God for you. He walks in. He's just, again, I use the word cool. There's probably a better word for it. But he's just awesome. And he walks in. He's like, hey, Dave, I got a, got a dilemma I need your help with. David said, yeah, tell me. I'll help you whatever I can do. He says, okay, there's this guy. He has 100 sheep. And his neighbor has one. And he decides that he wants that one sheep that his neighbor has. And so he goes and kills the guy and takes his sheep. David says, show me where that man is. <laughs> cool, Nathan goes, I'm looking at him. You're it. You are him. And David, instantly the mechanism kicks in and he turns to God. One moment, he had no control over it. One instance, he had no control and he turned to God. The other instance was all his fault and he still turned to God. And he says, I need to start over. I need a do-over. I need a Genesis week. Because he knew the God that he served was the one who created the heavens and the earth. And he reached to that moment and he says, I know you can create this. I need a do-over. And sometimes in our life, disappointment and discouragement can set in to such a degree that we are so far off course and darkness surrounds us so much that we can't even see the path to get back on it. We just need a brand new path. And this is where David is. It's like, he's saying, I, I, can't, I can't even find the place to get back where I left. I just need a whole new path to get me there. And God does that. He's faithful to do that. He will give you a brand new start. And so I, I think it's important that we ask ourselves, what areas of our life have, have we lost heart? What areas of our life have we given up? Is, is, is the current situation causing us to lose heart? COVID-19, is that causing us to lose heart? Have we lost heart regarding our marriage? Have we lost heart regarding our kids, our finances, addictions? Have we lost heart? Well, I, I would just say to you, I'm not asking you to say it, admit it to me. I'm, I'm saying, take that to God Amen. and find the truth of his word again and take your heart back. Yeah. Take your heart back about your marriage. Take your heart back about your kids. Take your heart back about your finances. Take your heart back about the future, yeah. about your hopes and your dreams. Have, you, have, have things gone to the side and you push things aside thinking that that's not going to happen? Maybe because it hasn't happened already and, and you, you, you feel like you're, you're too old or you've done too much, you've messed up too much, or the government has changed or the circumstances have changed? God is the, he's incredible how he can step into the midst of that darkness and turn everything around. Yeah. Yeah. We, we call him the way maker as we sang this morning. And we say he's the one who makes a way where there seems to be no way. The reason why there seems to be no way is not because there's not a way. It's because God's way is so different from our way that we can't look at it because we look at it. We want A, B, C, D. We want the dots connected. And God goes, no, nah, I don't really like that way. We're, we're going to start at Q. And then we're going to go to F. And he zigzags our life in a way that's like, I, didn't, I never saw that way. Of course we didn't see it that way. But when we land at the place we know we're supposed to be, then we go, oh, yeah, nah, of course. Of course that way. It makes sense now. But God has this restorative power. And you look at David's life, and, 
And, and I would encourage you to see David beyond Goliath and Bathsheba. Yeah. The Bible records him in the New Testament and doesn't list one of his mistakes. It's amazing the power of the blood of Jesus to wipe out the past yeah. and to remember the good. Yeah. It says that David is a man after God's heart. That he goes from being this murderer, because he did murder Bathsheba's husband, had him murdered so that he could have her to cover a pregnancy. He goes from the murderer to this identified this identifier that, that sets him apart from all the other kings of Israel. If you look at Jewish history, he, they don't even have to say his name David. They call him the great king. How do you go from the murderer to the great king? There's only one way to get there. It's even in our emptiness and darkness we turn to God. Yeah. And he restores. Bathsheba was restored as well. Now, some of you are familiar with this restoration. She shows up in Matthew chapter 1. She shows up in the lineage of Jesus. Wow! That sounds like incredible restoration. To go from the adulteress to the lineage of the Savior of the world. Yeah. There's also another little piece of restoration that doesn't oftentimes get talked about, but it's a fascinating detail in the Scriptures to me, and it's found in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31 we know that section of Scripture as, as the, the description of the virtuous woman. You guys, if you've been to a women's conference, you heard it. You may have it printed and it's hanging somewhere in your house. And, and, and we see this as a standard for what a woman of virtue is and how she lives. And what we know is that this is written by Solomon. His name was also Lemuel. But he was Solomon the king. He was written by him about his mother, Bathsheba. How do you go from the adulteress to the virtuous woman? There's only one way. There's only one way that can happen. There's only one way. It's that in the midst of your emptiness and your darkness, you turn to God and hand that to Him and ask Him to intervene. As I said, He does. You can see all through the Scriptures. Crystal mentioned one this morning. The miracle of the empty vessels that fed the prophet and the widow's family. Here's another story in 2 Kings chapter 4. God, God, God seems to... I, I don't know that He loves it. The Bible doesn't say it that way. But it seems to enjoy moving supernaturally when nobody else can move. The empty, dark, it just seems to be a pattern that he enjoys. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha shows up in a town and there's a widow there. And she says to him, she had a husband who was a prophet and he died. And the creditors were coming and the creditors were going to take all of her stuff and they were going to take her two sons and make them slaves to pay for the debt. And she says, Elisha, can you do something? And Elisha says, well, what do you have in your house? And this is a question. It's always interesting when you, when you read questions in the Bible. Let me just encourage you, pause there for a second and just put yourself in those situations. Um, Jesus 
asked lots of questions, and, and God asked lots of questions throughout the scriptures, and, and they're, they're on purpose. They're, they're there in, on purpose, and Elisha asked this question. He says, what do you have in your house? And she said what many of us say when we find ourselves in an empty place, in a, in a, in a dark place, in a place where everything has been taken and we've lost, we're in sorrow and in grief. We say the same thing oftentimes that this woman said. He said, what do you have in your house? She said, I have nothing. Except this oil. And it's just a little bit. You see, we all have something, but if we're not careful, the darkness and the emptiness becomes so great that even what we do have, we put in the category of nothing. And he says, okay, let's take the oil. He said, I want you to go around all the villages, in all the village, to all the houses and all the places you can and gather up all the empty vessels that you can find. Here we go. He's working in empty. And he says, I want you to bring all the empty vessels into the house. And so bring all the empty vessels into your house and gather all of them. And the Bible says that there were no more empty vessels in the village. And they gathered them all up and put them in her house and closed the door. And she and her sons were in there. And he said, I want you to pour the oil. She started pouring the oil and it filled up the vessel. And it poured the oil and it filled up the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. And the Bible says the miracle stopped when they ran out of empty vessels. And he says to her, he says, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to take a portion of these and I want you to sell them and pay your creditors and then you and your son can live off the proceeds of the rest of this for the rest of your life. Wow. See, that's the restorative nature of God. He, he doesn't just put you back to even. He sets you up in a place to go above and beyond where you were before you found yourself empty. In... Uh, Luke chapter 5, there's a story where Jesus is preaching and he's on the shore uh, of the sea and he's preaching and the people are crowding him and the more they crowd him, the people at the back couldn't hear him and he needed to get some distance and he started looking around for an answer and a way to solve the problem and the Bible says he turned and he found an empty boat. And he got into that boat and he pushed out from the shore a little bit where he could talk to the masses and he preached and people were set free. And when he was finished, he turns to Simon, who later becomes Peter. And he says to Simon, who was the owner of the boat, he says, now I want you to take this boat. Thanks for letting me borrow it, by the way. And I want you to take this boat and I want you to go out into the deep and cast your nets out into the deep for a great catch. And Peter says, again, what many of us say, that's why this is one of the reasons why I love Peter. He, he just, he just, he's just normal. And, and he, says to, he says to Jesus, he says, he says, okay, you're welcome for the boat. But let me just say this. We have, we have toiled and worked all night long and caught nothing. We caught nothing. There is a point of exhaustion that you can come to, and it can play out a couple of ways. One of those ways is you can be completely exhausted and experience victory, and that exhaustion, every bit of it feels worth it. That you fought the fight, you did it, you know, if I could use a sports term, you left it all on the field. And you know, I did it, thank you, Jesus, I'm exhausted. T.D. Jake says, I don't understand why people want, you, want me to give a shout of praise once I come to my victory. He said, because by the time I get to my victory, I'm so exhausted, I can't even breathe. 
And some of us find that we, we get to this point of exhaustion, but we're in victory. Praise God, we're in victory, and the exhaustion is all worth it. But then there is an exhaustion that you work and you toil and you work and you toil, and you still have nothing in your hands. Peter had toiled and worked all night long, and his boat was still empty. That's a whole other level of exhaustion. And it's in that place where you can find yourself completely discouraged, exhausted, wore out, unwilling to do one more thing. Unwilling to try one more time. The blind man came to Jesus. They, carried, they, they, they led him to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, he says, what do you want? Hello, Jesus. He's a blind man crying out for you. You sent guys to go get him. Duh. But there's something important. There's something important when we find ourselves at that point of exhaustion and complete loss and we're still empty. It's important that we say the dream one more time. It's important that we say again that we not let the circumstance steal from us our confession of faith, that we say, okay, and Crystal said it earlier, Peter said to Jesus, I will do it because you say so. And sometimes you don't have the strength to do it in yourself, but you have to do it because he said so. At his word, do it. Yeah. Call those things that be not as though they were. Don't stand in the darkness and say, golly, it's dark. <laughs> and we know the rest of the story. Peter goes out and the Bible says they caught so many fish that the nets began to tear. Because that's the restorative power and nature of God that if you will just surrender your emptiness and your darkness and your brokenness to Him and allow Him to step into it and when He steps in, there's a provision that comes. There's an answer that comes that is overflowing. It's an overflowing, exceedingly abundantly above kind of answer. All the way back to the very beginning of the book, In Genesis chapter 1, we find darkness and emptiness. The Bible says that the earth was without form and it was void of life. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And there's a little statement that it makes that we kind of read past it. And I know why we read past it, because we read past it because we want to get to, let there be light. We want the circumstance to change. We want to get to the light part. Yeah. But the Bible puts this detail, and let me say, there's no detail by accident there, and, and the Bible says this, and it's just interesting to me that it is this way, but here's what it says. It says, that the earth was without form, it was void of life, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering there. <laughs> what is the Spirit of God doing in the darkness? Well, I believe the Spirit and Father are one, and the Spirit's hovering, waiting for the Word. And when the Word showed up, light came. And I just say to you, listen, don't forget that in the midst of your darkness and emptiness, 
The Spirit of God is there. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He's there hovering, waiting for the word to be spoken. I remember as a kid in little Pentecostal church we went to, they'd say things at church like, don't you think if you go over to them bars that the Holy Spirit's going with you? He's not going in there. He's going to stand outside and wait on you. Now, listen, I'm not encouraging going to bars. Don't do that. But I'm just saying, that's actually, listen, if you think about it, that's actually good news. Because what you're telling them is you can go to the bar and the Holy Spirit's not going with you, so there's no conviction. <laughs> Nothing. And he's going to be waiting for you when you come out. It's like, wow. That's not scary. Stop saying that. Because the truth is, he goes in there with you. He's there. He's there. As the one who's always, as according to the book of John, he's always convicting us towards righteousness. We need that voice of conviction of righteousness in the midst of our own darkness when we're making our own foolish choice. We need to hear the Holy Spirit going, ah, ah, ah. Righteous people don't act like that. And I think that's more how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. I, I, I always had this idea as a kid that he was there just waiting, uh, shame on you, uh, shame on you, uh, shame on you. But I find that as I've grown in the Lord, I find that his voice sounds more like, hey, 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 come on, righteous people don't act like that. Go on, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You don't act like that. Go on, be who you are. But he steps into this dark place and light comes. And we're all here because of that moment. Jesus' very first miracle, John chapter 2, he needed to perform a miracle for his mother's sake. And he starts looking around and says, I'll take those six empty vessels. And he started there and brought great provision to that place. I say great provision because the Bible says that the six vessels ranged from 20 gallons to 30 gallon vessels. We ain't talking about a little pot like this. But I think about Genesis again, and I, and I, I, I know that we've made the personal application, but, but let me submit something to you, okay? We're coming in for a landing. I'm looking at the clock. It's big numbers. I can see it. I just wonder, and listen, I, I, I feel like I need to say this. I know you're, you're much more mature, and you don't need me to say this, but there are people going to be watching this online, and so we need to say this for their sake, okay? <laughs> listen, we are called to righteousness. The Bible says, come out from the darkness and be children of light, Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, we're called to be the light. But I just find occasionally that, that there, is a, there is a mentality that creeps into our Christianity that, and, and maybe not specific to individuals, but it's just kind of the, an idea that floats around that, that if there's any darkness, then we have to stay as far away as we can from the darkness. And I just, I just wonder, it, when I look at Genesis and, and I think about the spirit hovering in the darkness, I just wonder how many places there might be in your neighborhood or in your community where there's darkness and the spirit is hovering, just waiting. 
for someone who'll have the courage enough and faith enough to step into that and say, light be. We don't think about the Spirit being in darkness. But all those people that are in that dark place, Jesus gave his life for them just like he gave his life for us. But the Bible says, how will they hear without someone telling them? Darkness is not something we should be afraid of. It's something that we take authority over and change. We don't run from darkness. We walk in as light. Believing the Spirit of God is going to help us in that moment. I think you understand where I'm, where I'm coming from on that. Because God has, a, he has an incredible love for people. But they experience, hear, see that love through God's people. And we have to be the light. So we cannot be the people that lose heart. Listen, if the church goes dark, how dark is it going to get? The church can't go dark. We can't lose heart. We need to leave this place believing we're commissioned to share the truth of taking heart and remind people, remind people that there's still hope. The greatest days are still ahead. Amen. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for each person that is here in this place. As we prayed and declared earlier, Lord, we're here on purpose. Father, I ask that if there are some here who find areas of their life where there is some emptiness, some brokenness or darkness, Lord, right now, we invite you into that. Bring your restoration power. The kind of restoration that takes the murderer to the great king and the adulteress to the virtuous woman. Restore what has been lost. Repair what has been damaged. Bring wholeness and peace and joy again. Father, we thank you for your spirit that never leaves us and never forsakes us. Thank you for your spirit who hovers and waits even in the darkness that doesn't doesn't walk out on us. But even in our dark places. So today, Lord, we, we choose to speak the word. We declare in Jesus' name that we can do all things through Christ. We declare in Jesus' name that in all things we are more than conquerors. We declare in Jesus' name that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Lord, I thank you that right now you are restoring, you are repairing, you are renewing. You're bringing energy back and strength back and hope back and joy back. And Lord, I pray over your people that they would they would, as they take heart, as they take courage, that they would have courage to be a voice of hope and a voice of 
courage, that, that they would lead other people to taking heart, that they would be bold in declaring the truth of your word, that you have not left us, you have not forsaken us, that you are with us, and you have overcome, so we overcome. Now bless your people, Lord. I bless, I speak your blessing over them. I declare according to Psalm 5, verse 12, that your favor surrounds them like a shield. Everything their hands touch, it prospers. They are prosperous and healthy in every area of their lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.